Good morning. Good morning and welcome to the first convo of May term. My name is Becky Horse. I'm the convocation coordinator. We're in for a treat today. We're going to see firsthand an example of integrated learning. Two different departments informing each other, physics and music. Usually you think of those as opposite ends of the, of the campus, but we have had quite a few students who are very interested in both of those. And, and today you'll see the intersection. So we'll look at what's underneath sound and what sound is made up of, and we'll do that in a very visual way. And all this will be coordinated and presented by Professor John Ross Buschert with a bunch of helpers, including all of you, I understand. You will all have a part to play somewhere in the convo. So join me in welcoming John Ross Buschert. Can you hear the harmonics? Is this one sound, or is it many sounds? Well, let me help you out just a little bit. The bell can actually vibrate in a lot of different ways. When you ring it in the normal fashion, like I've just done, it can, uh, you are exciting a whole lot of different modes of vibration. Up on the screen are two of them illustrated. There are many more. Let's see if we can get just those two. If I stick my fingers on it, one of the advantages of owning your own handbell is that uh, J.D. Smooker isn't around to complain when you stick your fingers on it. <laughs> That's just the lowest mode, the fundamental, the one that was on the, well, it's in the upper left now. Here's the next one on the upper right. There are many, many more. You can see them down below. That's just a few of them. There are tens or dozens or whatever. There are some more of them. Let's see if we can see this in a different way. Each of those modes of vibration contributes its own specific frequency. And so the sound that we hear is actually many frequencies. This is a special display. It's now picking up my voice. But it shows the frequencies across the bottom here. That's a frequency scale. That's 4 kilohertz, 1 kilohertz. The bell's pitch is 260-some, which is way down here. That lowest line down there. Well, when I speak with my voice, you're seeing the same thing, but let's ring the bell. And you'll see that. That one there is about 260. Yeah, quit talking. There we go, that's better. That's about 260. Twice that, three times that. Three times that was the, the other one that we heard. See if I can pick that one out. Here's the low one. Mostly just the low one. Now here are these other ones. So now when you hear the bell, can you hear those individually? 
Can you hear all of them when I just ring it the normal way? Maybe. Maybe you can hear the individual harmonics. We tend to hear it all as one collective thing. And that is, in a sense, true. It is one collective sound, but it's also made up of these individual parts. In fact, all sounds are this way. Any sound can be seen as made up of a bunch of individual harmonics, we call them, sine waves. And you can build up absolutely any sound you wish by making a, a series of sine waves. You add up the fundamental plus twice that frequency plus three times that frequency. And we're going to hear this. Here is our fundamental. You're hearing it now. And that is represented by this bar here. And then if we bring up the next frequency, that's twice the fundamental frequency, three times the fundamental frequency. And we're creating this strange waveform down here by adding up a series of sine waves. As each one comes in, you can hear it individually. But you'd have a hard time now hearing this one individually anymore. In fact, if we just turn the wave off and on, it sounds like one sound, all merged together. Yet it's got all of these individual parts mixed in. The surprising thing is that uh, Fourier was the, Joseph Fourier was the French mathematician and physicist who uh, discovered that in fact you can make any waveform, any waveform you can think of down here can be constructed by adding together sine waves, if you pick the right ones. Mathematicians call that the Fourier transform. And in fact, it's not just true of uh, electronic sounds or mathematical sounds like this, but it's also true of music. In any kind of musical sound, you'll find the same thing. Let's listen to a clip uh, in a minute of, of an oboe. An oboe has a very interesting uh, waveform down here. We won't actually see the waveform, I don't think, unless, uh, no, we won't see that. But uh, in a minute when Ben plays this, we'll hear the, uh, an oboe just playing a note. It's a, it's a C on the piano. Um, and then uh, I've done a little bit of electronic wizardry to emphasize each of the harmonics in sequence. And so you will hear them, part of the sound, but you'll hear that harmonic a little stronger than it normally would be. And you'll hear each of them in sequence, and then you'll hear the whole sound again. So listen at the beginning, and then listen to each of these in sequence. First the fundamental, then twice that frequency, then three times that frequency, and so on up the line, all the way up to the 10th harmonic. And then you'll hear it all together again. See if when you hear it all together, you can hear the individual harmonics. So let's play the clip. You'll see it as well on here. That's the first
together again. Did you hear all those harmonics? When it was all together again, could you pick out individual harmonics? You might. There's one particular one that was fairly strong. I think it was the third harmonic that's fairly strong in the, did I call this an oboe? It's a bassoon, I'm sorry. Um, but there was one that's a pretty strong harmonic. And uh, so you might be able to pick that one out. Let's listen to it again, but I'd like to call your attention to one further thing. Notice the particular series of pitches that you hear. If you have some musical knowledge, you realize that these relate to our musical scale. The musical scale we use is not arbitrary. It, in fact, is partly dependent, in fact, almost entirely dependent, on this harmonic series. There are still some choices to be made. Which ones do you use and which ones don't you? But if you listen at the very end, the eighth, ninth, and tenth harmonics play do, re, mi. The third harmonic is an octave and a fifth. The second harmonic is an octave above the fundamental. All these musical relationships are buried in the harmonics, and they're there by virtue of mathematics. There's nothing cultural about that. There are other cultural things in music, but not this. So let's listen to it again. next one, I can't play. It's in the cracks. Do, re, mi were those last three. These harmonics are also present in, in every other instrument, including voice. You're seeing them in my own voice up here now. And we can experiment with this and, and see the character. You might wonder when a piano plays a C, or a bassoon plays a C, or a person sings a C. What's the difference if they're the same frequency? Well, they have a very different waveform. And if you look in the harmonic structure, you'll see the harmonics are different strengths. Uh, bassoon has many strong, high harmonics. And even within the same instrument, you can change things. With a voice, you can change your harmonics. So uh, I can sing, oh, ah, e. Same note, same set of harmonics, but different strengths. And what's going on when you sing, or even when you speak, the parts of your mouth are resonating and emphasizing or de-emphasizing different harmonics, creating sort of humps in the harmonic structure out here, humps that are called formants. And these different formants are what carry the information about what vowel you're saying or speaking. Uh, and so uh, an O, has 
a large group down toward the bottom end. Ah has a group that's a little higher. E has something way up here. There's different uh, formants in, in the vowel. Let's hear the, how this sounds when somebody sings it. So Allison's going to come and sing some for us. That was supposed to be an ah, I think. Is that what you were trying? That was trying for an O. Oh. That was trying for an O. Oh. Now, now, why can't we hear the difference between an ah and an O? Oh? Well, sing it again, Allison. Let's look at this graph and see. Either one. It doesn't matter at this point. No vibrato, though. If, if you were trying to figure out where the humps are, it's hard to tell when you've only got two or three harmonics to show you the pattern. There's not enough there. And if she switches from an ah to an o oh to an e, there's going to be very little changes, only two or three harmonics to adjust. That's why when sopranos sing a high note, when the note is high, then the fundamental is high, and there just aren't many multiples within the hearing range. And so when a soprano is singing a high note and you can't understand a word she's saying, it's because of basic physics. She has. <laughs> She has no choice, OK? So let's do this again. Uh, try, try three different vowels, and we'll try and guess at what they are, and we'll look and see what they are. OK, now just speak an ah, e, in a low voice. Speak an ah, e, o, oh, or whatever you were just doing. O, e, ah. Well, you could hear that. Easily enough, you could see it up here. You could see the differences between those vowels. But that's because she was speaking in a much lower voice that had more harmonics to show you the pattern. In, uh, in opera, uh, the opera singers would like to be heard. They would also like to be understood. And one way of helping to solve this problem, if you were trying to figure out where these peaks are, if the individual harmonics slide around, it can help you to see where the peaks are. And that's one reason, not perhaps the main reason, but one reason that opera singers like to put in so much vibrato. Because then what that does is slide these peaks around. So they're sampling a larger area, and we can start to hear a bit of the character. So let's try this again with you know, as much vibrato as you care to put in. Uh, different vowels. Now, our, our uh, software here created kind of a funny, strange, wide peak up here. As we hear it, we're able to follow it a little bit better than that. But you notice you, I at least could hear much more difference uh, among those vowels than I could before. So that's one of the reasons, perhaps, why opera singers like to put in so much vibrato, and you wonder, why would you do that? Golly. But anyhow, thank you, Allison. Uh, okay. All right, for, for the next uh, little experiment, I'd like to try something with a tenor this time. Uh, ben, has, uh, ben Hoover has 
consented to be our tenor for the day, and he's a little bit sick, so this isn't going to work quite as well as it might have. That, that's your excuse, I guess, yeah. today. Uh, he's going to need an excuse, because I'm going to ask him to do something. Uh, really, uh, one of the difficulties for musicians, uh, for, for singers, is to be heard over the accompaniment. And uh, a soprano has perhaps an advantage of just being a high voice and piercing somehow. Tenors have a little harder job, but there's a funny thing that tenors can do. In, in the resonances of our voice are some natural peaks up here that come from different parts of the vocal tract. And we modify those a bit to make the different vowels, but there are some natural ones in there. But uh, what, what you would like to do is somehow emphasize a few of these harmonics, make them so strong that they come piercing out even over the accompaniment. And that's what tenors especially try to do when they sing with a strange character in their voice. They try to elongate a little section of their vocal tract. And what that does is changes the pitch of one of the resonances to match a couple of the others and you have one really strong resonance in a certain spot, and it's called the singer's formant. Ben's going to try to give us a singer's formant with his most operatic voice. First, he's going to sing normally. and uh, Well, not normally. He's going to sing lousily, let's say. And then we'll try, uh, in, in more of a full operatic voice, he's going to try to pierce through. And what we'll be looking for is a particularly strong resonance somewhere up here that will be that singer's formant that would help him be heard over top of an orchestra. So try it first, you know, in your lousy, cold voice. You pick any vowel. Try some different vowels, whatever you like. We, by the way, we should be able to hear uh, Ben's vowels much more easily. Try different vowels first, and let's just see what that's like for you. You see, we have many more harmonics to see the envelope, to see the different character of those vowels. Uh, so that's why we're more easily able to understand a tenor when they're singing high than a soprano when they're singing high. But now let's go for this singer's format. Are you up to the task here? Who knows? We'll find out. Uh, I've seen this in some tenors. It's, it, not, not everybody can do this. We'll see if, if he can come through with a strong resonance up there. Uh, I give up on the vowel and just make the, the, you're trying to be heard and you don't care what they hear, you just want them to hear you. <laughs> there we go. All right. Now, actually, I said that uh, we'd have a, a part for you all to play, and we've got a couple things we can try. Let's, let's see what happens. In, in a sense, you may realize that the vowels don't depend on the harmonics. It's really just the envelope. That's what you hear. And so I can say an you see how the envelope stays kind of the same and those harmonics shift underneath it. 
So in fact, the pitch is irrelevant. And in fact, you could be using any pitch at all and it still sounds like an ah. Well, what happens if we combine everybody? What happens if you all just speak an ah in whatever is your normal voice? We'll pick it up right here. Everybody just say ah. Ah. Okay. Now let's try an oh. Oh. And now when the team does something really bad, what do you do? Boo. How about an E now? E. See that different character of each of those vowels, that's carried not by the harmonics. They are essentially just a way of us sampling those, that, that envelope, if you like. Well, uh, the best way of actually hearing these individual harmonics is in a special kind of singing that uh, came from, well, I think it was developed in Mongolia or Central Asia somewhere is where it's been most common. But if, if you do something more than just a vowel, when, when I say an ah, e, o, there are kind of broad humps here. What if you could narrow those down and really emphasize just one of the harmonics, like I did earlier with that bassoon? I did that electronically. Wouldn't it be neat if you could do that with your vocal tract and just pick out one of those harmonics? And in fact, you could play a bit of a tune on that, couldn't you? Yes, well, uh, you probably couldn't, but Ben here does have the ability to do what's called overtone singing. Could be called harmonic singing. It's also called throat singing. Before he starts, uh, he's, going to, he's going to do this uh, and and well, let, let's go ahead and, and just demonstrate a little bit of, don't do your, your final thing here, let's just demonstrate this. He's gonna be able, by using his tongue and his mouth to emphasize certain harmonics while he sings a low note. That last one. He's limited when he does this to the notes of the harmonic series. He can only sing those particular, he can only emphasize those particular notes. And so, and the next one I can't play again. Oh, actually, it's there. I don't know, were you going up that high? I don't think you were quite. Can you get up to the do, re, mi? Oh, you're beyond it. You're beyond it, yeah. He was up to that one, which again is not a note of our scale. I don't know, some of you musicians might have noticed there was one in there that didn't sound like a note of the scale, and it's not. Uh, I think he was up to the... Uh, eight, nine, ten, it would have been the eleventh harmonic, which is not on the scale. Neither is the seventh harmonic. Uh, one, two, three, four, 
five, six, seven. Now we're going to finish with uh, a little number that Ben is going to do by overtone singing. We're going to join him singing the drone tone. And what I'd like you to do is listen in your voice for those harmonics. He's going to be emphasizing the harmonics in his voice, but they're present in your own voice as well. So while you're singing the drone tone, see if you can listen and hear those harmonics. And there's one other little feature I'd like you to notice. When he plays the piece, the next note is not the note I would play on the piano. Somewhere in there is where he's going to play that note. When, when you hear it, it will not be a note of the scale that we use normally. It'll be the, the note that he has available to him for that spot in the piece. So you'll notice that, and, and also try to hear the harmonics in your own voice. So everybody, we're just going to do an O. That's all, folks. Thank you. Did you hear the harmonics? That's all we have. See you later.